Welcome to Sensationalist Science, a podcast about science, the media, and the truth behind those astonishing headlines you've read. I'm your host, Gid MK, and today we'll be talking about intersex, sex testing, and testosterone in sport. Hold on to your hats, because this will truly be a wild ride. Before we get into the science, I have to apologise to all of you, my dear listeners, because there has been something of a lag between episodes. Unfortunately, when I was recording the previous episode, my grandfather passed away mid-record, and uh, I couldn't bring it together to finish. Uh, Since that episode, I haven't managed to record anything, which is why there's been about a two-month lag. But we are here today, and we are talking about something very contentious. Testosterone testing in sport. You may have seen the headlines recently that an athlete named Caster Semenya from South Africa has been required by the IAAF, or the International Association of Athletics Foundations, sorry, Federations, I'm just going to call them the IAAF from now on, to lower her testosterone to a quote-unquote normal level if she wishes to compete in the 2021 Olympics and defend her 800 meter title. Unfortunately, this decision is based on bad science and represents one of the most interesting and perhaps worst abuses of science in the media that I've ever seen. So strap yourselves in and enjoy an episode of contentious issues that I am sure to get hate mail about. So, to kick off, I would like to say, very equi- very unequivocally, that I am talking here about intersex and not transgender people in sport. While they are both fascinating issues, and both very challenging to address, transgender people and transgender in sport is a very separate issue to intersex people and intersex in sport. And so while they are both great, I'm not going to be talking about trans people, and while again I expect hate mail, uh, if you do email me about transgender athletes, I will just ignore you. So what's the background to intersex in sport and testosterone testing in sport? Well, way back in the mid-1900s, it was decided <laughs> that women should be allowed to compete in sport, sporting competitions. But there was an issue. People thought that if you had a discrete category for women and didn't have a way of defining what a woman was, men would compete in the category and win, because of course men are better at everything. <clears throat> anyway, this led to initial delineations between male and female sporting competitions. And for many years, the way that these delineations were maintained, the way that the athletics federations decided who was a man and who was a woman, was through gynecological exams. Essentially, women would have to turn up before the sporting competition and see a gynecologist, usually male, and employed by the athletics federation, who would examine their genitalia and tick the box as either being female enough to compete or raise a question and potentially excluding them from the competition. After decades of this, it was realised that having a man decide who was female enough to compete was perhaps not ideal, and the fact that the definition of female enough to compete was often very, very Eurocentric was also considered to be a bit of an issue. 
And so this was abandoned in favor of chromosomal testing. Now, seems pretty simple. Men have uh, XY chromosomes, women have XX chromosomes. So if you test all women and look at their chromosomes, you can see who is a woman and who is a man in women's clothing. <clears throat> Except unfortunately, basically all of that is wrong. It turns out that there are many intersex conditions. These are conditions um, where people lie outside the arbitrary bounds of man and woman that we usually use to define. So they're outside of the gender binary, essentially. Sorry, outside of the sex boundary, essentially. And it is entirely possible to be a assigned female at birth, so to be considered a woman, legally a woman, have female genitalia, a uterus, um, and in fact, give birth through your vagina whilst having XY chromosomes. And yes, this has happened. It's documented in the scientific literature. I will link to a study that demonstrates this as fact in the show notes. So this raises an issue. If you can't delineate men from women by testing chromosomes, what can you do? Well, the IWF decided that the best way to define who was a man and who was a woman in sport was to test testosterone levels. This comes back to something of a myth that testosterone defines your athletic prowess. This has come about because if you give someone extra testosterone, it tends to improve their performance, their muscle growth, and other elements of their athletic um, physique. And so the idea is that if you have high levels of natural testosterone, it must be the same as giving exogenous, so out-of-body testosterone, and you must have a you know, more rugged physique and be able to compete better in athletic events. Now, obviously, there are some issues with this, not least that not all athletic events rely on um, things that testosterone impacts, but regardless, that is a very common belief, and there are some scientific studies supporting the, the idea that this could be true, and so testosterone was decided on as the, the be-all and end-all. If you had testosterone levels that were within a normal, and I'm doing some... <laughs> inverted quotes here, normal female range, then you could compete in women's events, but otherwise you would have to lower them to what is considered a normal female range. But this immediately became a problem, and I'll explain why in just a second. So, the issue is that if you define women by their testosterone levels, you immediately exclude women who obviously gain no advantage. For example, women with polycystic ovarian syndrome often have high testosterone levels, but because of the condition, the testosterone actually doesn't give them any advantage at all. And this is very well recognized and is an exclusion to the rule in the IWF's rulebook. But it becomes a problem for people who have intersex conditions. Now, while it's not public knowledge and never been widely reported, Castor Semenya has been speculated to have an intersex condition that it would exclude her from participating in international athletics. So this is coming back to Castor Semenya, the uh, South African athlete I was talking about earlier, who is the focus of these IAAF regulations now. 
So now we're going to go back in time a little bit to 2015. In 2015, in the case of another athlete named Duty Chand, um, the IWF was given instruction by the Court of Arbitration in Sport that they actually were not allowed to implement these testosterone regulations, that they weren't allowed to define women by their testosterone levels in sport. And the main reason for this was that they had never demonstrated that high levels of endogenous, so natural testosterone, the testosterone these women's bodies produced naturally, gave them a competitive advantage that was, quote-unquote, unfair. They'd never shown that having a naturally high level of testosterone was any more worrisome than being tall while playing basketball or having broad shoulders for a swimmer. And this was the crux of the regulation, that the idea that having high testosterone levels for a woman who was legally a woman was unfair and therefore should not be allowed in sport. So the Court of Arbitration in Sport gave the IWF two years to come up with a study that demonstrated that high testosterone levels were unfair. And in 2017, they published a study with a couple of months to go that they claimed did show this. Unfortunately for them, it was terrible science. The study in question is called Serum Androgen Levels and Their Relation to Performance in Track and Field, Mass Spectrometry Results from 2,127 Observations in Male and Female Elite Athletes. And what it claims to show is that female athletes with high testosterone levels have a significant competitive advantages with those with low testosterone in 400 meters, 400 meter hurdles, 800 meters, hammer throw, and pole vault. Conveniently, 800 meters is the event that Caster Semenya currently holds the Olympic gold medal for and the world title for. And now this was a huge, huge news at the time, and I looked at it for my blog because, in fact, the study doesn't really show anything of the, of the sort. What the researchers did was divide women into high and low testosterone levels based on blood tests, and then they compared the low testosterone women with high testosterone women across a range of events, and they also did the same for men. And they used what's known as a t-test, and they ran about 50 or 60 of these t-tests comparing low testosterone athletes with high testosterone athletes. Now, the problem with doing that is that if you run enough statistical tests, some will come up positive purely by chance. That is the nature of statistics. It's a bit like flipping a coin. If you flip a coin enough times, eventually you expect to get at least one heads. And since the study flipped 50 or 60 coins, they did find some heads. They found five heads in the, again, the 400 meters, 400 meter hurdle, 800 meters, hammer throw and pole vault. In other words, these tests were statistically significant with a p-value of less than 0.05. But a usual scientific practice when you're running so many of the same statistical test is to correct for multiple comparisons. And what this means is using some sort of statistical correction to reduce your threshold um, or to change your threshold somehow for what you define as statistical significance so that you can avoid false positives. Unfortunately, the study authors didn't do this 
which means that it is entirely possible, even likely, that all of their results that they claim to be positive are in fact false positives. Now that was what I talked about in way back in 2017, and it was a major issue with, with a study that's never been corrected. But even worse, some independent researchers got access to the original data from the study and tried to replicate it, and they found that actually, not only did the authors not correct for multiple comparisons, making their results largely meaningless, but there were numerical and statistical errors within the paper itself. There were numbers that didn't add up. There were values that appear to correlate to no actual athlete who ran any event, because these were all in the study, they only looked at athletes who'd run public events. You could actually look up their times. So they had values in there that just weren't true or weren't, didn't exist or didn't appear to exist, rather. So it's entirely possible that the study results, even if you don't correct for multiple comparisons, are just wrong. And this is what independent researchers found when they try to replicate it. That's extremely bad news. And the sort of thing that you would imagine makes the study worthless for any judicial decisions. Unfortunately, quite the opposite happened. This study has formed a major basis for the current ruling that disallows Casta Semenya from taking part in athletic events in which she's previously won the world title. Now, there are other studies that the IAAF has cited uh, in their legal arguments. There's, for example, another study called the Large Divergence in Testosterone Concentrations Between Men and Women, Frame of Reference for Elite Athletes in Sex-Specific Competitions in Sport and Narrative Review. Now, this study that I, I just mentioned was corrected after publication. Uh, the correction largely removed the results that the IAAF was using to back up its argument, and yet it has remained part of the discussion. And I think that gives you something of a flavor of the level of evidence that is currently being used to discriminate against athletes in elite sport. This is, very simply, bad science. Now, a lot of people will be very angry at this point, I'm sure. They will say, well, men and women are very different. We need some way of defining the two groups. And if we disadvantage some athletes, well, that's fine by me. And in all honesty, I'm not here to debate the philosophical arguments about male and female sport. But what I am here to talk about is bad science being used to drive media headlines and also bad court decisions. The IWF has never demonstrated that women with high testosterone levels have a quote-unquote unfair competitive advantage to women with lower levels. Obviously, if you supplement your testosterone, this is a different matter. If you inject testosterone into yourself, I'm talking about women with naturally high levels of testosterone and women with naturally low levels of testosterone. Despite this, Casta Semenya will not be able to defend her 800-meter title, it seems. She has exhausted all of her appeals. And that's really quite a travesty. If nothing else, if you use the original results from the study and you take them at face value, women should be banned, women with high testosterone levels should be banned from competing in the pole vault and hammer throw if they have, if, if the IAAF was interested in following the scient so-called scientific findings to the letter. 
but instead, the only athlete who appears to be substantially disadvantaged is a black woman from South Africa. Now, as a white man living in Australia, I obviously can't really talk too much about racism and sexism in sport, but I do think that it sounds a bit terrible when you put it that way. So, the bottom line here is that really we must be vigilant about all misuses of science, especially in this year of COVID-19. The IWF decision is, or, or regulations are based on a study with basic scientific mistakes that make the ruling both unsound and scientific. But they apply equally to many papers that have defined our response to the pandemic disease that are in the news all the time. The message here is to always be the most wary of studies that agree with your preconceptions because those are the ones that are most likely to mislead. This has been your dose of sensationalist science and media madness. I'm your host, GitMK, and you can find me on Twitter at GitMK, or Medium at GitMK, or Facebook at GitMKHealthNerd. You can also find the podcast on Twitter at SensiPod. Send me an email at SensiPod at gmail.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you, and remember, if it sounds too good to be true, or too bad to be true, it's always good to be skeptical.